Good to see you all. It's just one. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Come on. Yeah, no, no. You know, I, I, it's okay. I'm secure enough. It's okay, but it's not good to see me. I'm fine with that. Ah, uh, so welcome everybody. Welcome to the probably I think 35% of the church that's in a warmer place uh, or on the way. <laughs> I'm leaving from here and going to the airport, and we're going to be in Arizona for the week. So <laughs> I'll be back by Sunday. So I'll, I'll see. I'll see one Sunday. I know. Yeah, that's right. I'm just chasing the sun, and I know some people are already. Some people are in Disney World. There are Disney World people. There's other Arizona people. So wherever you are watching, hope that you're uh, enjoying the sun. Uh, so yes, but glad that those. But, but I'm, you know, I'm really happy you guys are here too, you know, because <laughs> um, it's so good to be together um, and to, despite the, the weather, you know, which has actually been pretty good, uh, to just gather together here in, in the winter in Washington. Um, we've been going through this series, and we're going to wrap it up today. It's been very short. This is week number three right here, um, and then we'll move on to some other things. Um, but if you've been following along, just to like just quickly catch you up, because there kind of was a lot of setup for this one, so I'm just going to give you the, the mini version, and if you're like, I don't, I don't know what that is, then just go back and listen to the previous two weeks. There's on podcasts, and they're on YouTube and stuff like that if you, if you want to. But if you've been following along, you know that we've been f- focusing on, a spiritual, uh, on spiritual development, like, like how do we grow as disciples, how how do we become people who are following after Jesus? Because it's, it's like we know how it begins. We say, I'm going to put my faith in you, God. I'm going to trust in you for forgiveness. I'm going to follow after you. But then there's, of course, a whole lifetime that's lived after that point. And so what we were thinking about is, is what does that lifetime look like? What does maturity look like? And we've been looking at this model. And, you know, this model is not perfect. I'm sure there are ways that we could um, nitpick it. I think I've got a picture of it it up there. Um, you know, but it's essentially just laying out the stages of development of a disciple from recognizing God, that initial, okay, yes, Jesus, I, I get that you did something for me, that it's significant, that you died on a cross to forgive my sin, and so I'm going to say, I'm going to opt in. I'm going to say, all right, I accept that. I'm going to live by faith according to what you've done, and, and, and realize that you're revealing the character and the love and the grace and the kindness of God. And so I'm going to live according to that revelation, according to what God has said is true, that he has a plan for me and he cares about me and I have a a, a destiny, like I have an eternal life now, both time-wise and in the sense that like eternal, like it's it's heavenly. It is filled with the presence of God. And so we start to walk into that. But I think that I like this this particular model because the, the last stage... The stage of fullness is this is a life of love, because that's what disciples really are. People who have responded to the love of God demonstrated on the cross, and then they become Christ-like in the, in the sense that we are loving like he loved. That is, that's your, that is like it. That is arriving, I think, as far as the Christian walk is concerned. We are called to be people of love, and we've talked about that already you know, and you just kind of laid that out, but love is, is the thing. It is the thing that, of all the things we're called to, and there are many virtues in the Christian life, but love is, I think, the foremost one, the one that is indispensable. We cannot do without love. But what we've been talking about is on this journey around this model, again, just as a way of representing kind of a spiritual reality, on this way to love, there are obstacles in the way. And we've been focusing on um, this kind of midway through this process of becoming a, a person who is, is loving. And we've been talking about walls, right? Particularly the walls that we face as we go from this early stage of discipleship where we've recognized who God is and we start to kind of 
live our lives and kind of live our lives according to the, the moral standards that he set up. I mean, he has those, you know, like, like the part and parcel of saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus is turning away from the life you were living before, a life of sin, right? And walking into a life that is according to the, the commandments that Jesus has given us. Like that is part of it, right? But even as we go further down there, we start to get to this place where, we're, where, where we've kind of for the lack of a better word, we kind of cleaned up our lives, right? The old, old Baptist saying is, you don't, uh, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls who do, right? So you get that sorted out, and you, you, right? And then that's, that's what you got to do. But there's more to it, right? You, you start living a certain kind of life, the life that is consistent with, with, with what Jesus calls you to as a person of faith, a person of love, a person of... of um, you like has accepted that God gets to decide what it is to be to be good and you live according to that way but then you get to this point where you start to hit a wall and you start to scratch your head and you think well what else is there is there more to this and my my point and I just want it loud clear the whole whole reason we're talking about this for 3 weeks is yes there is more there is more. It's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 16 24 and 25 and we we've looked at this every every week we've talked about this verse right Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We can, we can understand that. It's turning away from my old life, turning towards this kind of life that Jesus calls me to, deny myself. I'm going to opt in for Jesus. I'm going to accept what he's done. I'm going to start to live a new way. But then there's this second verse, which I think kind of sums up more of the later stages of discipleship. This thing that's a little bit harder. Jesus says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We talked about that a lot last week, right? What does that look like? But it's, it's, it's certainly a lot more than just making certain changes to my life. I mean, it is, Jesus is using language that is intense. It's vivid. It's calling me to something more. It's calling me to a way of dying to myself that I might find what is truly life. And Jesus is saying, this is for disciples, disciples at all times and at all places. And what we, we find is that this is not just like a, a small thing. We have to grow into this. What I have, and have many followers of Jesus, and a lot of you people in this room have experienced, you found that this process of following Jesus actually into a way of love actually leads us to this wall, and the wall we could call it self Right? You have to deal with yourself. You have to die to yourself. And it becomes difficult. And at this wall, we feel frustrated and we feel hopeless and we feel like we can't figure out the way forward. Uh, to, to be at this wall is to feel powerless. It's to feel like you can't imagine what the future might look like. Like what is beyond this kind of halfway to this life of love where you're just kind of like serving God and you're busy for Jesus, right? And then you start to get to this point where you're just like, is there more to this? but you can't see the other side. That's what being at the wall is like. And, and what, I, what I'm saying is like, we get, we get frustrated because all the things that we did in the past to move us forward in the life of discipleship, they don't work anymore. It's like there's nothing more to change in my life. Like I'm doing the things, at least according to the way that I think that I'm called to do. Like I've, I've stopped doing all these things and I'm serving in church. And, and, and a lot of times in church, it just feels like that's it. You serve, you give, you go to some Bible studies every now and then. And, and is that it? Is that it? And what I'm saying is, no, there, there's much more. There is this second part. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I'm not talking about salvation. Look, look, we receive salvation. It's the gift of God. But what Jesus is calling his disciples into is this experience of a fullness of life. 
And if you want more of this life that Jesus has on offer, I promise you there's so much more than you think there is. No matter where you are in your relationship with God, there's way more than you've experienced. He like is an out, he pours out life and he invites us to come and accept that. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of the day. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Calm down, calm down. You're talking too fast. You get to this wall at some point where you feel like, okay, I know the way is faith. I know the way is service. I know the way is kind of taking up the cross. I know the way is laying down my life. And you, you do all those things and you think, well, I, I just, like, is there, is there some kind of hidden faith that I'm not having? Like, do I need to drum up some more faith? Is that what I need to do? And a lot of times, I mean, yes, like, yeah, the way is more faith, but how do you find that? Is, is it that I just need to give more to God? If, maybe if I give more of my money, then I'll break through this wall. Like we get frustrated and sometimes we try that and I'll, you're pretty much gonna, it's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say this. Like God love gen, loves generosity and certainly if, if we have like um, love of money, that needs to be dealt with because it's like the root of all evil. <laughs> so that's pretty, that's pretty straightforward. That's a problem, right? But honestly, like at some point we, we just try to give of our finances, but we don't want to give of ourselves anymore, right? Like God is calling us to deal with ourself here at this wall, right? So you can't, you can't give your way out of it. You can't just drum up more faith. You can't get good enough advice to get around the wall. The wall just feels frustrated. Nobody can help you. It's a difficult place to be. It's kind of middle-aged Christianity. And a lot of people just like, they either just coast and they don't expect ever to get through it or they just walk away. I think during COVID, that was like, Half of the people just decided, you know what, I'm done. I'm, just, I'm not going to do this anymore. So that's, I'm sorry to, you know, trash those people. That, that wasn't kind. But honestly, like, because I, I understand the frustration, like, and I understand how that would be a, a reaction, but I'm here to tell you that you can break through this wall. Like, even if you're, if you're online, maybe you've been away from church for a long time. Maybe you're just, like, kind of giving up or you, you've lowered your expectations. Like, please raise them because there's a way through this. There's a way through this. The wall is a challenging place, but it is a gift because we go through it and it brings us to this place of maturity because it forces us to deal with this self that needs to die, that needs to be given up, this, this, these ideas that we have about who we are. Because the good thing about us, a thing about us is that, is that we'll just like, we'll change our, our, all of our circumstances before we ever deal with like our inner selves. I don't know about you. Like, like if I have a problem, I will think, what around me needs to change? Before I finally ask the question, what in me needs to change? The wall is like, nothing around me can change. I'm actually really sick of trying to change everything and failing. And so finally, from that point of frustration, God, God lets me look at myself. That's the gift of it. You get it? Like, like you might think, oh, well, I shouldn't be frustrated if I'm following Jesus. And it's like, yeah, you should. You should because you're, this call is to, is to die to yourself. So, so consider that a gift from the Lord. If you're, if you're a place of frustration, if you're a place of discouragement, like, like that is a great place to be because um, you will look to yourself and you'll, you'll, you'll turn to his grace like, like to meet you in that place and then he's going to change you. That's what it looks like. And I know that's just like a, a put a little bow on something that's, that's very difficult. I don't mean to, to brush it up. It, it's, it's hard. It feels hard. It feels hard. Death feels hard. <laughs> um, But it's when we come to walls that God really changes us. Because what he does is he deals with ourself. He deals with and like these ideas that we have. And we talked about the power of ideas over the last couple of weeks. But ideas that we have that really make up the core of who we are. 
of how we sense ourselves to be. And we have ideas about, about God, right? Ideas about how we are with other people, our relationships with other people, and then ideas about who we are. And we've talked about each one of those, and we're talking about ideas about who we are today. And really what God needs to do is he needs to change things in those areas to, for you to deal with yourself. Um, those ideas matter so much because they're really, functionally, they're your map of the world. What you think about who God is, what he's like, you know, the guy who designed everything <laughs> and who keeps things in order, that really matters. Like your, your ideas about what sort of person he is, and he is a person, we've got three persons in one, uh, you know, like that really matters. And, and, and how, how I think about my relationship to other people, that really matters because that's most of what I do in life. I relate to other people. It really matters. And what I think about myself, it really matters. You have somewhere in your brain, like this, this is how we do, you have somewhere in your brain a well-developed idea about how gravity works. Did you know that? You did. Just like, wait till there's an earthquake and you'll go like this, right? And you're not going to fall over, right? But you have this sense that when things get unsettled, you immediately go into instinct mode on certain things. And I'm saying that the ideas that you have about God and others in yourself are, are, are instinctual on the same level. Like, like, you operate from those assumptions. You don't think about those assumptions very often in the way you don't think about gravity very often. But if you hit your toe and you're walking, you suddenly respond in a really predictable way because your body just thinks before you think. It responds and reacts in a way that you don't, you, you're not even aware of, right? Because you have essentially over time learned about how gravity works, probably through breaking some bones. And then we realize, I, I just, I'm just going to like behave differently because of that. Ideas like are really powerful. You have things in your head, sets of ideas, and they really matter. And ideas about gravity are really good. Don't change that about yourself. I'm not saying don't act like you're not going to fall uh, when gravity, gravity you know, takes, takes course. But understand this. You have deeply developed instinctual ideas about God and others and yourself, and they form like a map. They're like your reference point to how you get through the world. They really matter. They, they really impact how you behave. They orient you in your world. And, and in, in a lot of ways, they protect you from being hurt. The things that we just go instinctually to are things that we believe, at least, are protecting us. And so we have some ways of thinking about God and other people and ourselves that are protecting us in some way. They're really reference points in your life to how you live. I mean, there's this whole, like, push now to do self-driving cars, right? Um, which is fun. Some of you guys are like, yes, put me in the self-driving cars. And some of you are like, I'm going to move to Mexico where they don't have self-driving cars, you know, because you don't want to be around those. And I, I get the different attitudes about it. But the thing about self-driving uh, cars is um, they're not just, like, computers that are, like, the, the, the bad thing about making analogies that are te technological in Seattle is that everyone else knows more about these things than you do. So <laughs> I'm just going to lower expectations right now. So here's how self-driving cars don't work. They don't work by, like, the car doesn't just come to a stop sign and take a right at a certain uh, speed and a certain degree, right? There isn't, like, just programming to the self-driving car. But the self-driving car functions kind of like your brain functions, right? It takes in data. And then it has kind of um, core ways of dealing with certain circumstances that it's learned from over time. And so it can navigate complex situations 
in unpredictable ways. And some of that's the problem with self-driving cars. They're a little unpredictable because they've learned some things that aren't quite right. <laughs> um, and it's hard to correct those things. And again, I, I, again, uh, yes, yes, lecture me later about how wrong that is about the things. But I think that's the way it works, and I'm sticking to it, and that's fine. Um, but you have been trained in the same way. That's the thing. You have lived your life. Data is coming in, you've experienced some things, and you've been trained up in the same way. You've learned how things go, and you've lived through scenarios, and then you take away some core principles that are sort of like forming the basis for how you're going to react next time. And all that training has left a mark, and you are responsive to your environment, and you act in the world based off of your impressions of how things work, the mechanics, like, and you're able to process through that. But the problem is, is that a lot of your training is actually just now in your way when it comes to following Jesus. You have to unlearn some things about you've learned. Why? Because you learned them in this state that Paul describes in Ephesians 4.18. You learned them before you knew Jesus, and this could describe you, right? You were darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. You get this? Like, like your training ground was like your impression of what the world was like. Like you didn't see God. You were excluded from the life of God at one point. The impact of sin, the impact of a broken world and you living in a broken world is that you've been trained up to think that the world is a place where God is not and that you are the primary and most responsible and the person who needs to take care of things, right? And that training has gone deep over time, right? And all of us, you know, it doesn't matter if you came to Jesus when you were really young or you're old, you have some programming. You have some ideas about who God is and what it's like to be a person in the world, and those were formed in this time when you were excluded from the life of God. And so many of us, like, just go back to that place. Like, we have trouble trusting, and we have trouble waiting on God, and we have trouble in prayer, because in the end, we've been well-trained into this kind of life and this kind of way of operating that excludes God from the picture. And we have to die to ourselves so that we can be awoken again to a kind of life where God is not excluded but included. The kind of thing that Paul describes in the next couple of verses in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 4.18, that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. See, Jesus reveals the truth. The gospel is kind of Christian lingo for good news, and it's the good news that Jesus makes known to us, and that's that he loves us, and he died on a cross to demonstrate that love, and to pay the price for our sin, and to take that away, and as a result of what he's done, invite us into this new, reborn, heavenly kind of life where the Holy Spirit, God himself, is at work in our lives. The former self, the one who was, had no context for the presence of God, the work of God in their life, that person, that person shaped into that mentality has died, according to Ephesians 4, if by faith, if, if by faith we put that man to death, he's died, and then we have this new kind of life. And Paul's message all throughout the book of Ephesians and many other places in the epistles is 
Die to that old person. Start living as if that guy is really dead and live into this new way of life. You can be men and women who are putting away the old and taking on the new, but that's the process of discipleship, and that's the thing that needs to happen at some point in your life. You need to deal with yourself in a serious way because it is keeping you from living this life, this kind of life, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity and of the truth. And we're invited into that. We're invited into a knowledge that God loves us, he cares for us, that we're called into mission into the world where we can love and serve other people in his strength, like we've been talking about the last couple weeks. And we are waking up to this idea that God wants to have fellowship with us. That before we were excluded from the life of God, but now we're not. We're actually invited into the holiest of holies. We're invited into just like to just like know who he is. We're invited out of this ignorance and into knowledge revealed in Christ Jesus and experienced in our life. And this is how we 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 um, tend to move, right? Um, let's just go back for a second. Uh, there's Scott. <clears throat> Dan, could you grab me a bottle of water from there? Sorry, I've got a little thing, and it's going to get worse. <clears throat> Here's what I mean, like, we have to die to ourselves, because as we're going, if, we, if we're going to go down this road to maturity and become people of love, we really have to deal with, with ourself, right? Thanks so much, right? Um, so we have to deal with ourselves. Um, but here's, here's what I mean. Like, here's the ex- experience of that practically, okay? Um, this was my experience, and it's probably a lot of, you, uh, a lot of yours as well. Uh, we come to Jesus, right? We are totally in this ignorance of God. We don't, we don't care. We don't know, like, whatever. We're just living for ourselves. We're doing this thing. Um, we're living for ourselves. And then we realize, OMG, which is the appropriate use of that term, uh, Oh, my God, right? We realize, God, oh, God exists. Oh, wow, oh, cool. Um, I was ignorant, but now I see. And suddenly people tell us, hey, that, that idea of who God is that you have, it's totally wrong. Did you know that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh? And he's coming, he, he, he embodies all the character of God, and he's love. He's serious about righteousness and truth, but he goes about that in the most serious way possible, dying for your sake and giving you what you could never supply on your own. And we wake up to that and we say, that is so awesome. He loves me. He's invited me to be a disciple. And we do this urgency. We stop living for ourselves and we, we, put on our, 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 um, we take off our old self and we put on the new self. We take up our cross and we follow him, which when you begin just seems like, I guess that means I got to go to church now. Yeah, it does. You gotta go to church now. You're following Jesus. That's what people who follow Jesus do. It means I have to live by faith. It means I have to, you know, stop getting drunk every night. <laughs> it means I need to, to do lots of things because, because I'm invited into something better. Um, and, and it's awesome. Uh, you live differently. You no longer live for yourself. You live for him. And that's amazing. And what you see people is, is who get saved. Like they're so excited. 
Um, they're just, just going for it 100%, right? Have you, you've been around somebody, or maybe you were that person when you first came to Jesus, you were just on fire, um, and you had tons of zeal, and you had tons of joy, and ton of surrender, and it was so good, and everyone was around you was like, wow, you are just a ball of energy for Jesus. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, but what happens to most people, and this is just like, I'm not saying shame on you. I'm saying this is the way it is. That's okay. You, you follow Jesus for a while, and you start to cool down a little bit. Like your zeal gets a little bit more cool. You get a little bit more mature. You realize, oh, all these people around me, they're excited about Jesus, but they keep it inside. <laughs> so I better do the same, because I don't want to be the weirdo who's really excited about Jesus. By the way, be the weirdo. Be the weirdo. This is, this is really good. It's really good to be the person who's most excited about Jesus in the room. Don't try to be too cool. Uh, but you do. You, you'll cool down a little bit. You live a little bit differently. Life gets in the way. Things get busy. You have children. You, you get married. You know, whatever. Life stages. Uh, things start to feel uh, differently. Um, you get around people who, who point you to Jesus, and, and that's good. But, but what happens, right, is you get to this place where you're, you're all of a sudden living for God, and it's great. Um, but you get to this wall, and you start to wonder, what, what's the way forward from this point? I don't know. How do I get back to that feeling that I had when I first followed Jesus? Because that feeling was great. I liked that feeling, and I feel like it was good. And it was. And what you do is, and then we can put that, that, that other slide up there, uh, is that you start to make this change. It's good. You turn from living for me. I turn from living for me, and I, I live for God. And you, you just all the emotions and all the excitement and all, all the cool stuff. But but I think that what happens at this wall, right, and this is just, I'm just going to give you a taste of what I think we need to do and, and the shift that needs to be made in our, in our mindset to deal with our ideas about ourselves is we have to go from I live for me to I live for God to, to something else, and I've got this up here, to um, I live with God. I, I live with God. Like, is it, so, so, like, the difference that we make at this point where we're finally going through a wall and dealing with ourselves is that we're making this shift in mentality about how we think about our own lives and how we are in our life. See, we move from living for God to living with God, and it's key. We have to go through the wall. Because to live with God, we, we really need to rewrite, like, some of our most basic ideas of what makes me, me, and you need to deal with some of your most basic ideas of what makes you, you. See, we started our life out, and we're trained up into this kind of map where God was excluded from the picture, but now you've been invited to a life with him, and there's a, there's a whole lot of yourself in the way, and for me, there's a whole lot of myself in the way, still is, still is a lot of myself in the way on this way to living with God. Because in, in both scenarios, um, think about these first two stages, right? You get saved, you, you were living for you, but then you, you suddenly, you, you get saved, and now you're living for God, right? But you'll notice that those, those two, though very different, right? Something is, has fundamentally changed. Your orientation has changed in those things. You were living this way. I was living for me, according to the old man. Now, like, I realize what Jesus invites me into. So now I kind of, like, put my energies and I direct myself towards being a different sort of person. And that's great. Like, 
changing your life and giving your life to Jesus and maturing into the faith involves turning from one way and turning to another way. But I think it's like on this further stage, it involves actually of re-understanding who I am. Because you'll notice in both those scenarios, the place where we don't know God and the place where we start to do know God, do you know who's the central actor in both of them? Me. I'm saying as an independent, sovereign person, an American, by golly, and we've got rights, right? And that's good. We, 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 we are, of all the countries, like, we are really into our rights, and, and thank you, Jesus, for them. Like, I'm, this is not, this is not a, that's not, not what you think it is. But, like, you, we're so trained up to be independent people. And here we are. I realize, oh, I have a choice to make. I'm called to choose to follow after Jesus. And so I choose to follow after Jesus, right? I'm exercising my agency. I'm choosing to be someone who's following after God. I put my faith in Jesus, which is great. But I'm still the one doing the work. And it all rests on me. And that's okay, except for then when I start to read scripture, right? And I start to read some verses, and they're a little unsettling. So like Galatians 2.20, everybody knows this one. I have been crucified with Christ. There's that I, that's important. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now call me crazy, but that's different than me just choosing Jesus and living for Jesus. Something's happening. Something, some picture is painted of, of what the fullness of discipleship looks like. Paul lived into it, and he has this totally new way of thinking about who he is. He's died to himself to the point where he could say, I'm not even the one doing the work anymore. It's Christ in me. It's Christ with me. It's Christ bringing the power and doing the stuff in a way that before I like was choosing myself and then maybe I chose God, but now suddenly I'm in this place where, man, I am so much smaller and less than I was before. And it's a totally, it's more than just degrees. Like it's a different way of thinking about yourself. Like, isn't that a totally different way to think about yourself? It's a little unsettling, to be honest. It's the sort of verse that you read, and this is like a memory verse. I've had that one memorized for a long time. And for a long time, it's like, yeah, that's in there, but I just don't want to think about that because I don't know what Paul's talking about there. Like, that seems a little bit extreme, Paul. Calm down. Be a little bit more cool. Come on, man. Um, or how about this one? John 17. Jesus, right before he's arrested in the book of John, um, and then crucified, and then, you know, you know the rest of the story. It's really great. If you don't, come back on Easter. We'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, right, right, right before, before he's, he's crucified, this is his prayer, his final prayer with his disciples. He says these things, and it's, it's a longer prayer, so I just, just a little excerpt. He says, I pray not only for these, but also those who would believe through their word. So his followers, he's saying, I'm praying for them, but I'm also praying for, for you those who have believed through their word, through that continuous ministry of the disciples and apostles throughout the history. And this is his prayer. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one, I am in them, and you are in me, 
so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, man, when I turned from myself and I decided I would follow Jesus, maybe I had a glimpse of what that is, but that's something further than that initial step. And what Jesus' prayer, his prayer for his disciples, not just then, but always is that we would have this kind of closeness and fullness and connection with him. Jesus is saying, is he saying, oh, Lord, just give them the strength to live for me, to use, use their own power, to choose, to choose well, to be people who are living for me. No, his final prayer before he's arrested, before everything, everything winds up and he ends his ministry here on earth is, would you ha- give them the kind of oneness that we have, Father? Would you invite them into this life of God and the kind of fullness and presence and love and connection that we have? Could they have that too? Would you please, Lord, bring them past this point of just being like kind of little people who are doing things for me, but would you invite them into all the fullness of a life with me? It's so much more than the life that I am accustomed to living, a life where God, yeah, God like is absent and then suddenly like I, I turn to Jesus and oh yeah, God's there, but he's just there sometimes. And then Jesus says, but there's this further thing where you could just have this closeness, the same kind of closeness that I have with the Father, I want you to have with me and with him. You can be invited into this life of God. And you'll notice, and this is the unsettling part, Jesus doesn't present this as an option for super-Christians. This is his prayer for the disciples, the super-Christians, right? And then for anyone who would believe through their ministry. This is Jesus' hope for all people. His prayer for all people is that we would have this revelation and this understanding and this experience like, like coming from, from knowing what he's called us to and, and from, from walking with him of this kind of closeness and this kind of fullness. And then he prays all of this and as if that, were, if that weren't enough that he's praying for us in this moment and it's presented. He prays all of that and he rests the force of mission upon that. He says, do that, Lord, so that people will see them and know that you're at work through me. So like, like honestly, like a lot is riding on, on us stepping into these things because this is Jesus' plan to reach the world is that you, the church, disciples of Jesus would, would come to this place of surrender and fullness and closeness with God to the point where you're just living a life with him and then people are gonna see that and they're gonna say, I want that. So it's not dependent upon how great of a church service we pull off or how smart the pastor is because he's not very smart and, or, or any of this other stuff. Like it's not dependent on that. It's dependent upon Christians stepping into this full maturity to dying to themselves and to waking up to this new way of being a person. Come on, like it's not dependent upon my action. It's dependent on me like surrendering myself to who God, God is and, 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 and coming into what he's planned for me. But there's this obstacle in the way. There are obstacles in the way to this, right? There are obstacles for me in, in just like conceptualizing what would it be? It's hard for me to imagine, right? Even I feel like having grown towards this, it's hard for me to imagine what would this look like? Do you have trouble imagining your own life that way? A lack of imagination is a real problem. 
And that's, I mean, honestly, like when, we, when we're at a wall, we feel like, I can't imagine a different life than the one I'm living. I can't imagine this kind of thing that Jesus is offering. Um, and I, I truthfully just think that the problem is, is that we think, like, like the, 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 the stuck point, right, is that we need to think differently about who we are and what kind of a person we are. I want to read a Bible verse, which is good. But just for a second, I want to read it. Just um, don't put it up there just yet. Uh, okay, before I do, I'm going to read a verse. And then I want you to do this. As I read it, I want you to think about what you're thinking. You know what I mean? Like, what, think about your reaction. Think about your response. Think about what, what, is, what does this verse mean? Um, it's kind of out of context. Um, that's okay. Well, I'll, I'll contextualize in a second. Um, I want you to ask yourself, what comes to mind when I read this verse? Okay, here goes. Luke 12, 48. You know this one. From everyone, uh, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Think about your thinking. I'm going to read it one more time. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. How does that make you feel? I'm not going to make you answer. But think about it for a second. What's Jesus saying? Well, I, obviously, I mean, this is, a, this is a verse about responsibility. We know this verse. We, we tell this to our children. <laughs> At least I do. <laughs> That's the one verse they know. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, no, no. no. They, know, they know lots of other Bible verses as well. But um, it's a verse about responsibility. And certainly in the context, like, this is, comes after a parable that Jesus is giving about, about readiness and about being prepared for the second coming, right? And then, then Peter comes up and says, um, sir... Is this uh, for everybody, or is this like just for us? Because I would like to know. Uh, and be basically, Jesus. Uh, sorry, Peter. You're not around. You can, I can, we can make fun of you. You can do it to me. Um, so he comes up and he says that, and he asks that, and then um, Jesus like responds with a further parable, and he ends it up this way and saying, basically, his answer is, yeah, like it's for everyone, and it's for you, and it's. More so for you because you guys have greater responsibility because you've been given much, right? Um, but if I were to guess about the way you think about this verse, and it's, it's honestly the way I think about this verse, and I think this is the problem, is that we read it something like uh, this, here, uh, and then skip to the next one here. We read it like this. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who's been Entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Is that kind of how it reads in your, in your mind, or am I just the crazy one? Um, but you get this. It's so easy to read this verse about responsibility and forget the context. Who is required much from? From, from whom is much required? There we go. English. It's the worst. From whom is much required? Those who have been given much. Who has high expectations? Those who have been entrusted with much. And it's so easy for me to read this verse about responsibility through my framework of me and me living for Jesus, that I take this and I just say, this is a call to be serious. This is a call to like deal with myself. And it's a call to obey Jesus with everything I have. And it is. But you understand that the 
the, the expectation and the requirements and the call to obey is only in the context of the one who has supplied generously everything that is needed, you get the difference of mentality to focus on those things because I'm so trained up as an independent person to think if I'm going to do anything or, or make anything good happen, I've got to find the resources within myself because I have been trained up into this idea where I go through the world and I don't rely on anyone but number one, this guy right here, right? And so I have to supply. If I'm going to be responsible, then I need to plan and I need to execute well and I need to do the right thing. And, you know, honestly, like, that's true to a degree. Like, there is responsibility still, but we have to understand this responsibility comes in the context of the God who has given so much. God is constantly supplying everything you would need to make good on your requirements, expectations, and responsibilities. And so many of us are trying to make good on our requirements, our expectations, and our responsibilities from our own self and our own resources because we think life is living for Jesus, but actually life is living with Jesus, and it's just understanding that he's already given everything that I could ever give back to him. You get this? If we are going to... Um, be people who follow after Jesus, then we need to depend upon him. We need to depend. If, if I'm going to live with God, I need to understand that I am a dependent person. Like we have to get over this independence mindset where we think everything I have and everything good, I need to supply myself. It's Jesus who supplies all the resources we need. Depending matters. And it's, it is just like not the same thing as being an independent person. Being a dependent person is not the same thing. That's like so obvious, like, oh, yeah, I mean, those are opposites, right? But it means that I have to start to think about myself differently. You have been so well-trained in independence. It's how you've always had to live your life. Maybe you feel like it's still how, how you have to live your life. You have to do things for Jesus. You have to draw on your own resources. But I've got to tell you, you have to die to that idea and you have to unlearn it. You have to unlearn it. You have to learn to depend upon God. You can't follow after Jesus. You don't have it in yourself. You can't be responsible for Jesus. You don't have the responsibility. You are not a responsible person. You, and here's the freeing thing, this is what we need to accept, you were not created to be. You have responsibilities, but only in light of what God has empowered and called you and supplied you to be able to do. And so many of us, were just like not drawing from the resources that we have. It takes a lot to unlearn habits like that. In every stage of discipleship, I, I do things for God, okay, right? That's what's, what this, this process is living up in here. But I think that what we have to confront at some point is that we have to understand that, because in, in these early stages, I'm doing things for God, I'm living for God, but we have to start to do in these late stages is we have to start to take things from God, which we don't like. I think to live with God, you have to be a taker. You have to be a taker before you can be a giver. And like we are, again, so, so well-shaped and so well-formed as independent people, but we have to be people who draw on his resources. If you go back in John 13, right? Um, just, just a quick reference to that. John 13, uh, Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet. Do you guys remember this? And Peter uh, objects. He says, no, 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 you can't wash my feet. They're so dirty. They're gross. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. 
If you don't receive the work that I have, if you won't let me do something, supply you with the grace and the kindness to wash you, like then you can't, you can't have this. You can't step into what you have. You, this is the Christian life. You have to take from Jesus grace. You have to respond to it and just say, Lord, yeah, I need you. You don't have a part with Christ until you start taking. And look at that, that way it begins is the way it continues on. You have to start to be people just like, man, I'm constantly in in dependence upon the supply of grace and and, and love and and inspiration and all the things that I need, the strength to do what God calls me to do. You don't just take a little bit. I get enough grace to be washed clean, and then you just move on. God, God, you need to take on this form and understand yourself that you are now like a mature person, and this is it. It's it's, It's totally contrary to my ideas of myself, but a mature person is someone who takes from God. Because God has said, come on, I'm making this available to you. You don't have it because of your own righteousness. Never could, never will. Won't you finally learn that when I came and I gave you grace that first time, it was because I'm going to supply you with grace constantly forever all the time, and I just need you to learn the habit of depending upon me? You have to be a taker. Um, (laughs) I'm glad Josh is here. Josh, you're here. A couple of months back, maybe a year ago, you were on a water kick, right? And you had what I like to call, and, and I, this, I, we're friends, so I can joke about this. You had a comically large water bottle, right? It was like big as my head. And how many of those did you drink a day? Two water bottles the size of my head. And, and I, I, just, I just loved it. And, I, and by the way, good job taking care of yourself. But for the rest of us, that is a lot of water. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you. Like, I uh, probably, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very healthy person. Um, <laughs> see, I have this thing. Um, I look at those comically large water bottles, and they're very popular now. You, you, see them, you see them from now and then. And I look at those, and I think, human beings do not need that much water. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, because I've been alive for almost 40 years, and I'm not dead yet, and I maybe drink this size of water bottle a day, maybe two of these, maybe. I don't drink twice my head's worth of water, and I'm still alive, right? So this is, this is my thinking. This is my sophisticated thinking. And so I think, I mean, how important can it be? How important that it could be? Because that seems like a lot of work, like literally muscles, and then you're just constantly, and how much, you got to pee a lot when you, I don't have time for that. Um, but here's the thing, I'm probably not very healthy. <laughs> At some point, I have to understand, actually, I do need that much water. I haven't gotten there, <laughs> but, but I'm thirsty. <laughs> But what, what needs to change in my mind to the point where I will finally be on board with the, the, with the water bottle train is that I need to understand, actually, that's what people require. That's what I require. I actually do require two heads full of water. Um, and you get, get, get the mentality? Like, that's somebody who's hydrating. You've got to accept this is necessary and good and important for your health if you're actually going to do it, because I'm, I'm far from that, right? Um, but if I have the mindset where I accept the doctors know what they're talking about when it comes to water, uh, then I'll just suddenly like, okay, 
I have to think about who I am a little bit differently. I have to think about what I need to live and be healthy a little bit differently. This is what I'm talking about here. You need so much water, and you need so much grace. You need so much from God. You need to, to depend upon him. See, because we're so in this mentality where it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to get by on the littlest, the, barren, the, the, the littlest amount that I can, right? And so when we're living for God before we're living with God, when we're living for God, what we do is we just run ourselves ragged until we can't anymore. And then we're like, oh, I need a grace bailout, right? That's, that's how our economy works, right? It's going... <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not an economist, right? But I think this might not be a good idea the way we're operating uh, on, on things right now, right? So, so it's like we have this mentality of like, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just be self-sufficient. We'll be okay until we need a bailout. But that is not the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is, no, we're not running ourselves past our resources until we finally need something. And then we're turning to God. It's we're learning to be people who understand, no, I have a constant everyday need to to take more from God, far more than I ever thought I would need. And, and frankly, far more than, like, you can go a long time without taking much from God at all. But eventually, you're going to have happen to you whatever the spiritual version is of whatever happens when you don't drink enough water. And I don't know. I don't want to research that. Eventually, you're going to realize, shoot, I am bankrupt. I don't have what I need. And that's what the wall feels like. It's, I've tried to follow Jesus in my own strength for so long, and I, I, I'm just frustrated with this. And then you think, oh, I, I'm doing it wrong. I wasn't saved. You know, there's nothing real to this. And actually, no, it's like, no, you just like, need to get over your own idea that you need so little from God. You just need way more. You need way more. Eugene Peterson says the most important thing for a pastor to do is to keep his congregation attentive to God. And that's like the last point, you know. If you want to live with God, you have to be attentive to him. If you want to be constantly receiving this grace, you need to be somebody who's attentive to how much you're taking in. You need to be listening and engaging. That's why we're focusing on prayer so much, you know? You need to have this daily habit of prayer. You know, we're talking about being an everyday disciple. It involves meeting with God every single day. You might say, ah, I don't even meet with my spouse that often. <laughs> Sometimes when you have little kids like, like, like we do, it doesn't feel like, like we, we were just like ships in the nights a lot, a lot of time, right? And that's not good. Obviously, like a marriage can't be sustained like that. Why would you think your relationship with God could be sustained like that? It can't. You'll hit the wall and you'll either bounce off it and walk away. Or you'll learn to be attentive to him. You've got to learn to be attentive to God. And it's, it's a challenge in our day um, because so many things are always demanding our attention. It always has been. I, I, th- I, I do think we have kind of a unique thing with, with all the media that we're surrounded in. But this has always been a challenge for people, even before electricity and stuff. There's so much busyness in life. Guys, the only way you're going to get uh, attentive to God is to unbusy yourself. It's way easier for me to tell you, just take just a couple drinks of water, just a couple more drinks of water. But the truth is that you need so much more than that. You need to unbusy yourself, and you need to set your life, the course of it, the pattern of your life, the whole, the, all your rhythms around carrying around the big water bottle, around receiving and taking from God all his grace and supply. There's just no way to maturity past that. So if you're at the wall and you're thinking, okay, I want to do this, it's not 
go back to the other things that I did at one point, right? Work up some emotional hype thing, right? You know, like maybe that'll work for a little while. You'll feel a little bit better. I would hate it if you just like walk from this and just say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then you walk out and you say, ah, I got busy. You know, like, like honestly, the only way through the wall is to develop habits of encountering God on a regular basis. That's not exciting, is it? Wouldn't it be nice if I could hype you up and send you out with something else? Instead, I have to say, you have to rearrange your whole life. You do. That's why, that's why Jesus, when he called disciples, he didn't say, here's some water. Uh, fill it up on the regular. He said, follow me. You've got to live a certain kind of life if you're going to be formed into the sort of person who's attentive to God. It's a very disappointing ending to the sermon, isn't it? Honestly, I just want to leave it there. I want to leave it there. Our worship team's going to come up um, because I think in American church world, we too much rely on emotional response, but it doesn't lead to, to action. In the end, guys, the only way for you to get hydrated is to carry the water bottle around. Like it's to change it a little bit about your life. It's about how you're living. I can't, I, just, just, there's no other way. I need, I, 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 we, we talk about this a lot. We're talking about becoming everyday disciples. That is, those are rhythms that we're asking us to partake in. The most important one being that we meet with God every single day. That we confess our sins to God. That we examine our life together. You know, those are some of those other ones that are just, they're spiritual disciplines, right? Things that are actually going to change us inwardly, um, but indirectly. The more time we spend with God, the more time we order our lives around seeking after him, actually, the more we're going to be attentive people. We're going to be tuned in. We're going to be experiencing these things that God has. And we're always looking for quick fixes. And that's the thing about the wall is that there is no quick fix here. There's no quick fix. You have to become a disciple in order to step into the fullness of what God has. And you're not doing that alone. See, that's the thing. You don't just need to go and just come up with a great plan. You need to go before the Lord and just say, God, I, I see that my life is just so busy and so unattentive to you, and I want to build a life that is built around paying attention to you. And you need to go with God, and you need to ask for the Holy Spirit to give you the empowering and, 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 and the leading to, to do that. Um, but it has to get serious. Like, you, you have to get unbusy, and you have to get your attention on Jesus. And just, he's, he's done everything he can to, to say, let's do it. I'll die for you. I'm going to fill you with your spirit. Like he's done all the things and at some point we just have to respond. And so guys, yeah, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to stop talking. Um, let's pray. Lord, we, we do. We, we pray. We turn to you, the supplier of all things. Lord, um, in scripture, like you, you are, uh, you, God, your presence is just portrayed like a river, right? Like a fountain, like a cistern, like a reservoir. God, you water. You water the desert. You water dry places, Lord, and you water our lives. And, and like Psalm 1 says, like, like to, to just live with the Lord is like um, to just be constantly filled, constantly filled, constantly supplied with, with, with renewing freshness, fresh water. And so, Lord, we realize that we're our biggest obstacle. God, God, the call to follow after you is, is a call to just, to just um, 
deal with ourselves. And Lord, we, we, you know you've taken away the sin. That's the thing. We don't feel guilty about the way we are. But we understand, Lord, that we have to just live and think of ourselves a little bit differently, Lord. So would you give us, Lord, the imagination, the vision to think about what could it look like to be me, but me who is constantly being supplied by your grace, God. The grace that you so want to give, that you want to pour out, Lord, the empowering, Lord, your presence, your spirit, Lord, would you just get us caught up into what that looks like, Lord. We, Lord, we want to receive from you. Lord, we want to be humble enough to take from you. That's the irony. <laughs> to take from you requires great humility, God. Humble us. Humble us, God. Lord, and as we go out, Lord, send us out in community, Lord. Let us be people who encourage one another to be attentive to you, Lord. Lord, we are yours. We want to be yours. We want everything you have for us, Lord. So fill us up, I pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand up and worship together.